Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is Dr. Chris Jones, Democratic candidate for governor of Arkansas, the son of two preachers, attended Morehouse College on a NASA scholarship for physics and math, studied at MIT to become a nuclear engineer, earned a PhD in urban planning, and most recently ran the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub. ChrisForGovernor.com is the website. Jones for AR is the Twitter handle. And Dr. Jones, welcome to the program. Tell us about your candidacy. Hey, hey, Tom. It's great to be here. Appreciate your voice. And I'm a seventh-generation Arkansan, and I'm honored to be the Democratic nominee for governor here in Arkansas. That is absolutely great. You're going up against Sarah Huckabee Sanders, do I, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly? Okay. That is correct. So lay out your case. It's really three parts. You know, first, I am a seventh-generation Arkansan, and based on my experience, expertise, and background, and, and network, I uh, have a clear plan for how we address some of the challenges we face in Arkansas uh, and how we set us up uh, to seize the opportunities. You know, that, that, that's first and foremost. Uh, number two, we're at a crossroads, not only in Arkansas, but in the country, where we have to choose the politics we want. And it's either a politics of faith, hope, and hard work, or it's a politics of fear, hate, and cronyism. And my opponent, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, has made it clear that she is, at best, silent on those issues that matter, uh, particularly things like the insurrection. Finally, Arkansas has long been at the bottom in so many areas, health, infrastructure, broadband access, education. And that is in large part due to the fact that we leave so many folks out of the conversation. And so this campaign is really about bringing people to the table, giving them space for their voice, and that's why we hit all 75 counties once, and we're doing it again in our Walk a Mile tour. That's great, uh, and, and good on you. I, I wish you the very best for this. My wife and I, my, our family, we lived in Atlanta for 13 years, so we have some familiarity with the South, uh, although we grew up in the North, you know, in Michigan, New Hampshire, Vermont. But I always wondered why the poverty is so bad in the South. Why the South never really developed the way the North did. One of the stories yeah. that I heard when I was living in Atlanta was that it, basically the institutional white power structure in the South mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. willing to keep the South poor in order to keep down black people. Is it, is yeah. it anything close to being that simplistic? 
you know, I, I think it, I think there are many dynamics. However, I think that case is the case that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made uh, quite often. That you know, the there's a common thread uh, among folks who are who lack resources and who've been left out of the conversation. And that's both black and poor whites. And far too often, uh, we've been put into different buckets and categories and siloed and divided. Uh, so you, you see, in his in his last days, he really began to bring together a coalition that said, "Look, let's look past these divisions and find a way for us together uh, to to lift each other up." And that's what this campaign's about. That's great. That is great. So, uh, for people who might want to uh, learn more about your candidacy or support your candidacy, yeah. what do they do? Where do they go? Yeah. So the best way to do it is to is to check us out in, on our website. It's chrisforgovernor.com. Chris F O R Governor.com. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Jones for AR. And I'll tell you, um, the, the real real simple. Uh, our key to unlocking Arkansas's potential is spreading PB and J across the state. It's As in peanut simple. butter and jelly. Preschool broadband and jobs. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. Preschool broadband and jobs. So that's what we're about. Come find out about us on the, on our website at chrisforgovernor.com. Okay, you got it, Dr. Chris Jones. I wish you the very best, sir. Thank you so much for dropping Great by. Today. Great talking you, with you. Yeah, thank you. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for the hour, taking your calls. Congressman Pocan represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. He's a member and former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. And Congressman Pocan, I'm, I'm guessing that there's a lot on your mind today. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, I, this is also my busy season. We're in the middle of the appropriations process. We mark up the bills in committee and get them to the floor uh, all between now and August 1st. So that is always kind of front of mind right now. But the January 6th hearing, uh, you know, we got information as everyone else did, most members. We weren't told ahead of time. And seeing the connections with the Proud Boys and then the information this week about that tour and watching the people go through the the, the White House and, or I'm sorry, not the White House, the Capitol and the, the tunnels in our buildings and taking video and pictures of entrances, I thought was really damning. I, I just keep learning more and more. And I was here that day. That has been certainly something that uh, I think is front of mind as well. And then you know, just everything we're trying to get done on the floor from, you know, uh, items around gun violence to trying to deal with inflation to uh, a lot of other matters. Uh, it is anything but slow uh, right now in Washington, D.C. I can imagine. That was uh, Congressman Barry Loudermilk took the, yes. these guys on this, this guy on this tour who later was filmed at the Capitol with a with a flagpole that he had sharpened the tip of to turn it into a deadly weapon, saying, we're coming for you, Nancy Pelosi. You can't escape. Uh, that's pretty grim stuff. Was was uh, Loudermilk the only congressman who was giving tours the day before? Do we know anything more about this? I, I had heard before that some of the usual suspects, you know, Boebert and whatnot, were doing this also, but I've also heard that they've denied it. And we're going to learn more, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Just like the members who asked preemptively for pardons, we don't know who all they are. A number of us said, no, we didn't ask for a pardon because we weren't part of the insurrection. But, uh, you know, apparently other members did that as well. So I, I, I find what they're doing to be a great public service. If it's Even if it's not about the election in November, it's about making sure that we never have another chance of not having a peaceful transfer of power. This is important. But I think just learning more about Donald Trump and those around Donald Trump and how 
awful they were, I think, has been, um, at least for someone who didn't know some of this information, which I think most people haven't been, uh, it's, it's certainly been pretty eye-opening. Yeah, I've been getting uh, now uh, two or three email fundraising emails a day from Trump, and I had put him on my spam list back a few months ago, and somehow now they're coming from the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, Rick Scott, and uh, but they're all about Trump, and it's all you know, it's it's just it's wild the scams that these guys are running. Well, should we pick up some phone calls here? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Congressman Pocan is with us for the hour, taking your calls at 202-808-9925. John in Chicago, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, Representative Pocan. Um, I just got a quick question for you. As far as I'm concerned, I know everything, that, not everything, I know kind of what's going on, but to me the most important thing that we could do for our elections is getting rid of uh, Citizens United. And I see a great way to get get handle that is to basically get rid of Clarence Thomas. My question is, do you, have you heard of any information or anything to whether anyone is investigating phone calls or text between Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas? I'm sure someone is. I'm not part of a, a committee that does that type of work. I'm on the Appropriations uh, Committee on Education and Labor. But looking at what we saw Jenny Thomas put out with the Arizona uh, legislators and others, I'm sure that is probably part of what also the January 6th committee is looking at. However, that's not the best way to get citizens and citizens united uh, you know, actually into practice. You're completely right, especially now that some of we've got new entrants of groups like APAC, uh, who has a pro-Israel, although I, I think I would even say anti, um, <laughs> they have a very unique position around Israel, which is that, you know, Palestinians don't count. It's not really pro-Israel. I don't want to use those words. We have crypto billionaires getting involved in campaigns. I mean, we've got more and more negative factors of big money coming in where the candidates aren't the biggest spenders in their own races. You're right, but we have to build this from the grassroots. We have to make this actually public outcry so that members of the House and the Senate are hearing this and we make those changes even in states where we can. So um, you've got the right issue. I don't know if you have the right answer how to get to it. It, it is a growing problem and, and we're going to have to address this new entrance of these big dollar outside independent expenditure groups. We are literally the only developed country in the world that allows legal bribery of politicians. I mean, and this is this all goes back to the Supreme Court. These you know, uh, the, the Buckley decision, the Bellotti decision, the Citizens United decision, the McCutcheon decision. Um, uh, is Congress, I, I mean, I, you guys all have to be aware of this, you know, $700 million spent last year just by the healthcare industry lobbying y'all. Um, do, do, do you see any forward motion on anything to get money out of politics to overturn Citizens United? Well, so the best has been the group and Citizens United actually helping people to get off of PAC, corporate PAC donations, right? And a number of us, I think last I remember it was like 50 or 60 of us in the house. When I first got here, it was like three people. So that's a huge increase. Wow. But we've seen some slippage as of late on that. And I think we do have to work on that issue again, because you're absolutely right. There's 1,500 pharmaceutical lobbyists in this town. If you wonder why we pay more than any other country for prescription drugs and there's not a, an outcry about it, well, I can tell you there's 1,500 special interest lobbyists uh, who all uh, do lots of campaign donations, and that's what is affecting uh, the public policy here. So we absolutely have to have a better handle on this or else um, you know, you'll never see us get to something like Medicare for all, much less affordable prescription drug prices. Yeah, absolutely. And in uh, Aroma Park, Illinois, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. 
Morning, Tom. Morning, Representative Pocan. Um, first, really quickly, I wanted to thank you, uh, Representative Pocan and Pramila Jayapal et al., who signed the letter to ask uh, President Biden to stop the privatization of Medicare via ACO reach. But the question I have is, what is the Progressive Caucus going to do to stop endorsements like we saw of Chantel Brown over Nina Turner? Because Chantel Brown did not sign the same letter that you and 52 other congressmen, uh, congresspeople did. So my question is, what is the Progressive Caucus going to do to make sure, to ensure they are truly endorsing true progressive, not people that belong to several caucuses? Yeah. So first, we have to and separate myth from reality. And you know, one of the reality things is when you actually look at voting records. That's one of the things that obviously we do. Um, you know, Chantel Brown was the eleventh most progressive vote according to one of the major uh, measuring devices, Progressive Punch, that we use out there. So I, I wouldn't say she wasn't progressive. Nina Turner absolutely was, and I support her when she first ran uh, for that congressional seat. But I don't want to say someone's not progressive when they actually are voting very progressive. I think the real issue um, is we watch a lot of outside money come in that race. And that's what Tom and I were just talking about, these new outside groups, uh, Democrat Majority for Israel, um, APAC, who's been around but not with a PAC before, crypto billionaires putting in one race $12 million in a primary in your state, Tom, in Oregon. Um, That, as you know, is a distorting factor in a primary. $12 million, that's probably 20 times what any candidate raised in that race. So that is a big part of the problem. And one of the things we're trying to do is figure out how to get more people to not take corporate PAC money and how to influence that. And good luck. (laughs) I I, I mean, seriously, I really wish you the very best on that. Because this is is just killing, this is a cancer destroying our democracy. Jake in Seattle, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. I'm hoping you can help me see the wisdom in, you know, promoting these January 6 hearings, the public hearings, having it in prime time. It seems more than likely nothing is going to come from this, um, which is going to alienate a lot of people on the left wing of the party, seeing this and nothing happening, as well as exciting the right uh, in their eyes, the liberals continuing to persecute Donald Trump. It seems like if we want to have success in 2022, the midterms, and, and in 2024, we need to focus on things we can actually accomplish, and both sides uh, agree on. Two things that come to my mind would be legalizing marijuana federally and term limits for Congress people. Anyways, uh, hopefully you guys can help me see the light on this, and I'll take my answer off the air. Sure, Jake. First of all, I don't know if your two issues make it very high up on most of the polling out there. Um, the economy, uh, loss of freedoms uh, potentially by losing Roe through the Supreme Court, healthcare are still like in the top three that we're seeing right now. So um, I think th- those issues are extremely valid. We should be talking about more and we need to. Um, specifically, I don't think this is about elections. This is about making sure that we never again have uh, the, the possibility of not having a peaceful transfer of power. And on top of it, part of this is I would love to see the Department of Justice prosecute people. And I think that that is somewhat of the audience on this, but this isn't about the November election. And don't forget, we can walk and chew gum, right? Uh, At the same time, we can do more things and we should. I wish we were much more aggressive on oil companies that are price gouging uh, and ripping consumers off. I wish we did more around antitrust. That's part of why we're paying so much for groceries and other things right now as we're coming out of this COVID hangover. Um, But uh, I don't think that the January 6th committee is intentional about November elections. It's about the future uh, of the country, and it's also about trying to convince Department of Justice to do the right thing. Sharice in Federal Way, Washington, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. 
I'm considering political asylum for my family. I'm an African-American, 55-year-old grandmother. I have seven grandsons and four sons. And um, when they finish school, we're going to be leaving the country because we don't feel safe here. And I think that America needs to be prepared for mass exodus if the GOP takes over because it's just a no-win at this point. So what do you think about that? Sharice, I haven't heard that from um, others yet, but I absolutely have heard the concern. You know, when someone like Kevin McCarthy, who doesn't stand for very much of anything, could potentially be the next speaker, or for that matter, Jim Jordan, if they would win the House, and they're just going to do whatever Donald Trump wants, he'll still be the, the cult leader in exile. Certainly, people should be concerned in, in for our democracy, which is why I think the November elections are so important. So I guess my advice is be active, get out there and work for candidates who you think will protect democracy. But um, I, I certainly understand the concern you have. I, I hope we have much better solutions. Patty in Cincinnati, Ohio, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Um, hi, it's really nice talking to both of you. Tom, I love your show. Um, I guess my question, Mark, is the Pro- Progressive Caucus. I don't understand the rules of it because the most important thing is Cincinnati, uh, Citizen United. We don't we don't want all this corrupt money. Why is it? There's progressives in the caucus that take that corrupt money. Chantel Brown is not a progressive. Yeah. So again, I understand the concern, right? Uh, Many of us love Nina Turner. Um, But if someone's voting progressive, they are a progressive. But I agree with you on the money issue, um, which is why, uh, like I said, I think it's 50 or 60 members. And not all of them are progressive caucus members, by the way that don't take corporate PAC money. And I think that's significant. So it's not necessarily a left-right spectrum issue. Far more of them are progressives. But we just have to disconnect uh, this ability for money to have such influence. The best way to do that, I've always been a proponent of 100% public financing of campaigns. I don't think that's going to happen overnight. Um, But we do need to, one way a member of Congress or a candidate can show that independence is to not take corporate PAC money. And, um, you know, we are right now having discussions about how to get more and more people to do this, especially since we've seen a little slippage as of late. But I I do want to say there are people who aren't progressive caucus members who also aren't taking that. And we're going to have to have a broader uh, group than just the progressives who don't take this if we're really going to have impact. Phil in Brookings, South Dakota, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Yes, um, you were talking about if the Republicans get in their control, they want to cut Social Security, Medicare, to what extent do you think they would go to that? What would the cuts pertain to? Thank you. I think they would do um, uh, their whole agenda if they get a chance to get back in charge. Now, the good news is we would still have President Biden, so you could still veto legislation, but they would be doing everything looking at the next presidential election. I mean, look at, at, at the whole idea of Roe. They have worked for decades to stack the Supreme Court with activist conservative judges to get to the point that they could overturn something that's had a half a century of legal status in the United States. Uh, They are in for the long game, and uh, we have to be uh, ready for that every single election cycle. So, um, you know, they would love to privatize lots of things. Uh, Public education, I would be concerned about because we've seen the private school voucher programs that are out there that they they love. Uh, There's lots to worry about. A lot is riding on uh, what happens in November. How do you think this is going to play out, Congressman? Uh, you know, it's it's right now. It could be a very rough November. Um, you know, I uh, gas prices and grocery prices are 
probably far more significant than most of us think who follow lots of issues and are concerned. But for the average person that may keep people home or have them vote differently, and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Mark in Chicago, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. I wanted to get your perspectives on the strategy for uh, protecting the solvency of Social Security uh, what I I don't hear it as being a priority, but what I do hear in the news these days is uh, uh, adding 200 a month to benefit, which doesn't seem to help solve the problem. It goes in the opposite direction, and uh, financial organizations are starting to talk about uh, a 20 plus percent cut as almost a given. So it seems like it's an issue that would really lock in all of the votes of anybody 55 and over uh, to support the Democratic Party if we could uh, if we could get this solvency addressed. Yeah, Mark, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, uh, we had our executive board meeting for the Progressive Caucus the other night, and this is one of the main bills that we're trying to still get on the calendar this year, the Social Security 2100. John Larson has a bill that would do just that, would uh, add the solvency, uh, increase the amount people who make more than 400000 are paying into the fund. Right now, you stop paying in at about 146, 148,000. You don't pay another dime into it, so it's kind of a regressive uh, tax. And uh, you know, it would also change the money that you get. Right now, it's tied to the CPI, and the reason it's it's a good increase this year because the consumer price index is up. But you know, seniors spend money on different things, and there's a CPI dash E that focuses more on things like medications and things that seniors spend money, and that would provide more increases in the future uh, and still be very solvent under that bill. So yes, uh, you're right we should move that direction. Um, Tom, if I can, one of the listeners, I answered earlier about some of those outside groups spending money and someone tweeted, and I do uh, follow tweets, as you know, um, when people are, are you know, watching the program and add some comments. And someone thought, I think, that, that I was trying to somehow uh, say something wrong about a group that's that I said pro-Israel, although I don't think they're pro-Israel, I think they're pro-nationalist uh, Israel uh, in APAC. A reason I mentioned it, and the person um, said, well, you know, the vast majority of uh, Israelis support a two-state solution. I agree, so do I. I'm a sponsor of the bill that uh, Andy Levin has to do just that. APAC, though, isn't supporting Andy Levin, the author of the two-state uh, bill. Uh, they're supporting the other candidate. Uh, Andy Levin used to be the president of his synagogue. But because he's a progressive, APAC is not backing them. So APAC has a, a, a conservative viewpoint 
very nationalistic around Israel and is one of the two biggest spenders, two new groups that we've seen come in the cycle along with crypto billionaires. So I just wanted to say that. I want people to understand why I singled out those two groups. They're the newest big spenders, but also, you know, the, the person, um, you know, I actually agree with. I, I believe in the two-state solution. Unfortunately, APAC uh, doesn't by uh, how they're supporting candidates, and, and that is a concern. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Sandy in Hinsdale, Illinois, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. I was just overjoyed, actually. I read an article that you were sponsoring a bill with Barbara Lee in terms of actually reducing the military budget by $100 billion. So I was overjoyed. And then in the next sentence, it said that President Biden was actually asking for much more in the military budget than even Trump had had asked for. I was wondering your insight into this. I was shocked that President Biden would want so much more of an increase. And I thought maybe it was Ukraine. But your insight into it and whether or not uh, does this bill also pass just as any other law through the Senate, in which case I see that it would be extremely difficult. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Sandy. Well, so I'm going to go try to go short on this, but I, you know, Barbara Lee and I started a, a Pentagon Spending Reduction Caucus. You know, this is one of the only agencies, it is the only agency we never audit. We don't audit the Pentagon. So every other agency, we care about what they spend. When it comes to uh, the Pentagon, it's considered a jobs program by many, not uh, anything really about defense and, and national security. You know, I would argue our biggest national security threat in the last several years was COVID-19, and yet you can't really use defense dollars for that uh, by definition. We need a new modern definition of defense, but under the current definition, um, no audits, uh, failed programs with no accountability. I mean, multiple times we spent billions of dollars to create a better amphibious vehicle that only sinks. Um, that's not exactly uh, the intention. Uh, the newest, the newest class of aircraft carrier uh, has a problem with the toilets, so and when they get clogged, you have to literally flush $400,000 worth of acids down the toilet to make them work. You're flushing money down the toilet. You can't get much more graphic and visual about what we do in the defense uh, area. So we just want to right size the department. You know, um, I would love to get to the point that we have a new modern definition of defense. But at the same time, um, there's too many failed programs there uh, that don't bring this nation security. We need to invest differently and better. And that's what not just Barbara Lee and I, but a lot of other members are trying to get to that. The problem is both Democratic and Republican presidents keep putting more and more in this because um, you know, Congress actually put more than Joe Biden wanted last uh, budget because it's a jobs program for many. And, and that's part of the definitional change that we've got to stop here in Washington. Michael in Bronx, New York, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Hello, gentlemen. Very important question in the midst of the January 6th hearings. I remember hearing that somewhere down the line, we're going to be hearing the num a good number of those in Congress, particularly GOPs, who are acting and aiding and abetting Trump in the attempted coup, that he's not the only defendant. Am I correct to understand that upon announcement of these names, there ought to be indictments, and then upon indictments, are those particular members removed from um, Congress, like totally dismissed or expelled, even though if they're not up for re-election? 
could that happen? And would that also mean more special elections where Democrats could pick up extra seats? And I say that not on political um, um, aspects, but also to clear a message that we never, ever tolerate criminals sitting in office, and we shouldn't start tolerating that. Am I correct? Yeah, well, I think you might be a little ahead of yourself, Michael. I mean, first of all, um, there are members, supposedly, who preemptively ask for pardons. That in and of itself is not a crime, right? But what do they want the pardon for? It could be. Um, you know, we're just finding some of this out about the tours, so that's brand new. Is that a crime to give a tour? Depends how much you knew, right? So I don't think it's, like, automatic, and I don't want you to get too far ahead. Should they commit a crime? Should they have something? I mean, my main concern is I want the Department of Justice to do something about it. And uh, I think that's part of the messaging here is to give the Department of Justice the, the will that Congress wants to make sure we're doing something. Because the single most important outcome of these hearings is to make sure that we never have uh, the ability to not have a peaceful transfer of power ever again. Um, that's a stain on our nation's history. And I think that's the real goal of the committee. Bill in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You are on the air with Representative Pocan. Hello. Um, just have a question. I believe that a lot of the agencies that are part of the social safety net in this country, agencies like HUD and Human Services and DVR, Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, have employees even at a high level who really want to undermine the functioning of those agencies. They see their primary responsibility as being to weed out the undeserving. So I'm wondering if, and there's corruption as well, I'm wondering if there's anything that Congress can do to look into that problem. Yeah, I mean, that's very general, Bill. I don't know if I can give you a good answer to it. I, I, I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to without maybe, specifics. Maybe leftovers from the Trump administration? Yeah, I mean, there's always a little bit, right, as you're trying to, you know, fill um, slots. Uh, but nothing that's risen to the level that, like, there's great concern, at least that I've heard of offhand, but I'd love to hear more if there is, Bill. Justin in Madison, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. My uh, husband and I are building our family, and we are extraordinarily concerned about gun violence in this country, especially in schools, um, to the point where we've thought about leaving the country, just like Sharice has talked about uh, the, a couple callers ago. And I'm wondering, do you think that the Senate bill goes far enough? Uh, will you support it? And if you do support it, will you continue to fight for, for further uh for further gun legislation to, to take these off the streets and protect everyone. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Justin. It's great to hear from constituents listening to Tom's program. Um, one, uh, I do support the Senate bill. While I, I definitely doesn't go far enough, anything um, in this area is an important first step. And this actually has some decent um, aspects to it. Secondly, I'm still hoping we get an assault ban uh, on the floor for a vote because I think we need that weapon ban, assault weapon ban. Um, and we still need to do so much more. And I'm a sponsor of many bills to do just that. Um, the real problem is the NRA, which again is not members uh, like people, it's members like gun manufacturers that are really the money behind the NRA is a powerful um, influence group and it's harder to get more done. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nancy in Woodland, California, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. There are two bills before Congress that have bipartisan support regarding breaking up big tech monopolies like Amazon and Google and so forth. I guess it would be best to bring the, the bills up for a vote within the next month. And I know this is regarding the Senate, but do you know if uh, Chuck Schumer has plans to do this? Is this something we can expect? Yeah, Nancy, I don't think you're going to see those even hit the floor of the House. One of the problems, and the Judiciary Committee did pass those, it was folks more on the progressive side, but also moderate Democrats, along with some Republicans who joined them in getting the bills done. But there was also opposition by more maybe corporate-leaning Democrats and uh, other Republicans to not get them done. So even though I think you know most Democrats are, are understanding that we need changes in our antitrust laws and monopolies have way too much power in this country from oil companies to meat processing to you name it, it is still a very difficult issue to get through Congress because of special interest power. So absolutely, I don't think the Senate could pass anything with their current 50-50 margin, but even the House, I don't think there's a guarantee those bills would pass. Wow, that's that is so disheartening because they they are so needed. I I, I I don't know if you saw John Oliver's uh, special on this. No, I didn't. Oh, it is so so worth watching. It's just it's breathtaking. I, uh, I tell you, Tom, it's just every issue we see, it comes back to often monopolies are doing this, you know, and yeah. meat packing and in foods, in um, gasoline, in the baby formula, infant formula. Um, five companies, ninety percent of the market. One company, fifty-five percent of the contracts that went to states. Uh, this is a real, real big problem. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Bob in Manhattan Beach, California, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Representative Pocan, for all, everything you're doing, especially this show. It's it's a really wonderful contribution. My question is simply this: I've never seen anything rile up people as much as these gas prices situation uh, that the stuff that's going on, and why not have? A convert, congressional hearings on that. Uh, I think uh, Kevin McCarthy actually sarcastically suggested it at one point, but I think it would be a good idea to get to trot these guys in there and explain what's really what's really going on. Yeah, Bob. So believe it or not, there has been, and um, uh, they weren't very good. Let's put it that way. One, and I was talking to Katie Porter about this, and she's a great questioner, as you know. If you're an oil company executive, you're a pretty talented liar. Um, right, and, and you can evade that five minutes of questions pretty easily. What needs to happen is we need the White House, the president, to take some of these folks in front of the public and expose them. We have recordings of oil executives saying they weren't increasing production so they could return a maximum profits to shareholders. We need to go after the price gouging that they are absolutely doing 
And unfortunately, I don't see that happening at the very top level. But there have been hearings. Um, they weren't very good. And like I said, Katie and I just talked about this. They're not the best. That's not the best forum to do this. But we, we do need far more honesty. This would be a good uh, subject for John Oliver to talk about because um, we need to have it out there in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, amen. Mike in Iowa City, Iowa, you are on the air with Representative Pocam. First of all, there seems to be a theme happening with all these callers with uh, everybody wanting to leave the country. It's kind of interesting because part of why I am calling is because I have a, um, a non-binary child. He's 15, um, there 15. And we have people here, uh, specifically, there's a, there's a congressperson who wants to, uh, who compared uh, trans people to cancer. Anyway, my question is, is there anything, because of a possible takeover of the House uh, in November, we think positively, but if it doesn't happen, is there, are there any movements, is there any, is there any legislation that's trying to go through the House that can protect LGBTQ people, because, plus people, because now, I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be in a very strange situation, and I am looking into dual citizenship for my, so to protect my kids. This is really, these are not good times for, for people that are not stereotypical <laughs> Midwestern Iowans, I guess, is that, or, any, or anybody in a situation where they're coming after your, you know, the, uh, an LGBTQ um, person anywhere in the country, but especially it seems like in the Midwest and South. Yeah, Mike, so, I mean, here we are, Pride Month, and, you know, we've had so many uh, steps towards equality, including marriage equality, and now, you know, the Republican Party, in order to, you know, put their their Adams Family Coalition together that makes up the Republican Party, have to appeal to those extremists uh, who are, are virulently anti-gay, uh, anti-equality, um, and we're seeing that in Florida and in Texas, right, by governors, and we have le legislation introduced in almost every state that's anti-equality. Uh, we have the Equality Act, which is the big bill in Congress passed the House the last two sessions. We need the Senate to take up. That would solve many of the issues that are out there. But I just want to address this, this issue, Tom, about leaving. Leaving is exactly what Donald Trump wants you to do. Donald Trump wants this to be a nation where it's okay again uh, to, to think that hoods, uh, or actually he doesn't, you don't have to wear a hood, that you should just be able to be that out bigot that you are that we've seen come out of the Donald Trump um, presidency. And you know that's giving up. Instead, we need to fight electorally. Uh, and that means you know being active in campaigns. Don't take uh, a gruff from candidates. Uh, go out there and fight for your values and the people who represent those values and do it uh, more than them. And that's really, I think, incumbent on us. There, I, I still strongly believe in the American people that justice and fairness uh, are, are values that people support. But we have to be as aggressive in talking about them and advocating for them and fighting for them electorally. Uh, we, we can't be talking about leaving the country. Honestly, I mean, I think that is something that we've got to get out of our vocabulary and instead take that energy and fight for something. I'm with you. Daniel in Bakersfield, California. Daniel, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Seems like Ron DeSantis is going to be the nominee for the Republicans. He's a fascist. I mean, he uses big government and goes after private businesses. I've always lived by the adage that uh, political years are like dog years. Two years is a long time, more than two years between now and then. So I don't know if I'm about to say who's going to be the nominee. I think what's scary about Ron DeSantis is if Trump does 
get taken down a notch or two because of uh, being exposed for you know much of the, the crimes that he committed um, in, in whether it be January 6th or other issues. Um, you know, Ron DeSantis is the scary alternative, right? He doesn't come across as wacky uh, as Donald Trump. And some people kind of accept that, that that's Donald Trump's uh, quirks, where Ron DeSantis is, you know, a more sanitized version of hate. Uh, and we, we do talk about that. But I don't I don't jump to he's the automatic nominee yet. There are plenty of people, um, you know, community theater, uh, failed thespian, uh, Ted Cruz. Um, uh, there's a whole bunch of them uh, that are still trying to get in line to be in this this position. So, um, you know, I think we just talk about our values. Uh, we talk about what we can get done, what this country can aspire to still be, and uh, at the same time talk about what the alternatives could be. But there's many alternatives, and it's not just Ron DeSantis. Congressman, we just have 20 seconds to the end of the hour. Uh, thoughts on what we should be looking at for, toward, and doing over the course of the next week or two until we talk to you next? Yeah, I mean, you know, elections are coming up. Always uh, ask people to get involved with that now. Uh, now is the time. And uh, these these hearings, I mean, I think they're important that we amplify the message that's out there um, so that we can, you know, get the Department of Justice to do the right thing um, with anyone who may have broken cards. There you go. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much for dropping by today. Yeah, thank you, Tom, as always. Appreciate it. My pleasure. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Susan in Caldwell, Idaho. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? Hey, I caught your call from the gal in court from northern Idaho yesterday who was talking about politics here in Idaho after the arrest of those 31 at the Pride Parade in Coeur d'Alene. And I just wanted to clarify for you, it is not as bright as this gal is telling you. First of all, in all the national coverage of that um, arrest of the Patriotic Front, no one, only two stories, NPR and finally on CNN, have alluded to anything like the influx of the right-wingers into our state. It's not only people who are conser- genuine conservatives who want to come somewhere out of, you know, California and go to here or Texas. We are part of what is called the American Redoubt, Redoubt R-E-D-O-U-B-T, where white evangelicals are going to make the new homeland. It is this new homeland that wants to annex the eastern half of your state. Right. And um, I'm, I'd like to, and I'm, I'm going to go into what happened in our election, but I'd like to mention uh, the police chief at Coeur d'Alene uh, is reporting as of yesterday that half the calls that his department and the, what the mayor are getting about the arrest, half the calls are death threats, okay? Yep. And okay, they're doxing I'm a Democrat the cops, and too. Yes. Oh, that is the new sport in Idaho. They dox everybody over everything. Um, a third of us here in Idaho are Democrats, and we're shut out of the majority um, primary, the Republicans. Who, they closed their primary in the teens. So every two years, I've got to go re-register myself as a Republican so I can have an effect on their primary, so I can try and keep a few recognizable conservatives like our beloved governor in office, right? Yes, our governor did win his primary over that right-winger whose name I won't mention. Also, this, this is Kevin Stitt, right? Of, is he your, your governor? Am I remembering right? No, Brad Little. Oh, Brad Little. That's right. Brad Thank you. Little. Yeah. Yes. I'm mixing up my states. Um, for, for Lieutenant Governor, that gal who bankrupted her office in pursuit of her little side um, uh, side interests like CRT examinations, 
bankrupted her office by losing lawsuits from the press here in the state because she wouldn't um, let out any information when ordered to do so by the courts. Um, she, bankru- she actually bankrupted the lieutenant governor's office. It's going into the next session with a deficit. It wow. never has happened before. The speaker, the current speaker of the House, Scott Bedke, did win in a race for that lieutenant governorship. That's the good news. Down ballot, everything is bleak. Okay, we have a Secretary of State um, winner. He won by three points. He's the only one of three in the in, in the field who would admit that President Biden won the election. And the only reason he didn't lose is because the two deniers split each other's votes. Wow. He well, he beat the next contender by three points. Our Attorney General, who our current Attorney General Lawrence Wasden, 20-year veteran in the post, refused to join that crazy um, case that Texas filed for every all the other Republican attorneys general to join in and go after Pennsylvania's. Um, what do you call it? Validation of their right. of their um, election. election. He didn't do that. He went down in defeat and is being replaced by a former uh, House member who's a Freedom Caucus founder. Down ballot. Um, our House is 33 percent in the representatives, the right wingers. They were held in check by the Senate. 50 percent of the Senate committee chairs went down in this primary. Everything's going to open wide up this next session. Wow. Susan, thank you. Yeah, it it is. Thank you for the report. I really appreciate it. Crazy alert for the day. Donald Trump has this uh, free speech platform, right? Uh, Truth Social. And if you're a member of Truth Social right now and you post anything from the January 6th hearings, you get kicked off the platform. That's right. He is censoring his free speech platform. Twitter user Travis Allen said, my Truth Social account was just permanently suspended for talking about the January 6th committee hearings. So much for free speech. Uh, This is uh, Democratic strategist Jack uh, Cocciarella. He said, I was suspended from Truth Social for posting about the January 6th hearing. Donald Trump is afraid, is scared of free speech. And then they go on, you know, uh, accounts were censored or deactivated for even posting footage of of, uh, Ivanka Trump saying that her dad was, you know, basically lying. So it's, it's crazy over there. It's genuinely crazy. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? So William Barr says that Donald Trump had a break with or was out of touch with reality. Yeah, I think this is that, this is uh, they're laying the groundwork for his defense. It's yeah, a mens rea defense. So, yeah, well, he's describing an episode of psychosis. Arguably. Um, but if you were to ask a, a psychiatrist or a professor of psychology at any university, what is psychosis? They would say, well, that's a, a temporary break with reality or being out of touch with reality. That's, yeah. those are the, those sure. are the, and William Barr, as an attorney, and as, certainly as the Attorney General of the United States, should know that you don't use those words uh, loosely. If he wanted to say, if he wanted to indicate something else other than psychosis, he should have said that Donald Trump had a profound misunderstanding of how the voting process works and how the counting process works. But when you say break with reality, you're describing psychosis. And episodes of psychosis are, that people with psychosis, it's episodic and often associated with a personality disorder like narcissism, which Donald Trump clearly has. So it's not that 
the, the psychotic episode was that he didn't understand how vote counts work. It's what he thought he had a right to do about it. Um, he's, our, he's our Caligula. He's our Nero. This guy is... I agree. And what he did, this whole thing about the... This struck me yesterday about the uh, alternate uh, slate of uh, electors. This is... It struck me so clearly, was so calculated. This reminded me exactly... This is like a stealth corporate proxy site. That's mm-hmm. what you have to do, right? You have to submit an alternate board. Yep. If you want to take over or replace a, a corporate board in a proxy fight, the first thing you have to do is come up with an alternative board. Yeah. And Donald Trump was certainly in the business he's been in and the people that helped him come up with Rudy Giuliani being a used to be a lawyer, but anyway, they do they certainly know that. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Paul. I hadn't thought of that. That's brilliant. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Meanwhile, over in Marjorie Taylor Greenland, and this is how strange things are getting here, Marjorie Taylor Greene just came out and uh, endorsed global warming. Uh, Not the way you're thinking. She says, it's a good thing, global warming. I mean, here's, this is exactly what she said. She said this last night over on Right Side Broadcasting. Quote, we've already warmed one degree Celsius. And do you know what's happened since then? Here, let me tell you. We've had more food grown since then, which feeds people. We're able to, be, to, to produce fossil fuels, which helps keep people's houses warm in the winter. That saves people's lives. People die in the cold. Did anybody tell her that half of Somalia is in famine right now? 20 million people are on the brink of starvation in Somalia. That all across northern Africa, as the desert has moved south, I mean, this is what triggered the Arab Spring, right? Uh, you've, you've got the probability of famine coming. It's amazing. She goes on to say, this is Marjorie Taylor Greene, she goes on to say, this earth warming and carbon is actually healthy for us. It helps us to feed people. It helps keep people alive. It helps. The earth is more green than it was years and years ago, and that's because of the earth warming, because of carbon. Well, it turns out that the greening of the planet that is happening, and it is happening to a small extent, is happening in one place, China. Why? Because they are doing what Franklin Roosevelt did in 1933. They are planting trees like there's no tomorrow. But at the same time, the Marjorie Taylor Greene is telling all of her followers and her listeners and, you know, right side broadcasting's uh, audience that uh, it's good for you, this global warming and this carbon. Over 100 million, 107.5 million Americans right now, today, as I speak, are under extreme heat warnings. 107 million Americans. We're definitely not among them here in Portland, by the way. When I walked into work this morning, it was 52 degrees. It is cold here, but not in the most of the rest of the country. We are the anomaly. St. Louis, Memphis, Minneapolis, Tulsa, 
They're all going to hit 100 degrees today. In Minneapolis, there are 14 schools that are not fully air conditioned. They just shifted to distance learning. And meanwhile, at the same time that Marjorie Taylor Greene is telling us that, you know, fossil fuels are good for you, carbon in the atmosphere is good for you, global warming is a healthy thing, you know, spreading lies that were literally debunked a decade or two decades ago. The fossil fuel industry is doing really well. Brent crude futures the, uh, have surged more than 40% this year. They've gone above $130 a barrel following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As Bernie pointed out earlier on this program, that clip, uh, the last time oil, it's, it was $118 a, a barrel yesterday. The last time it was $118 a barrel, gasoline was $3.25 a gallon. Now it's $5 a gallon. What's different? The, the oil companies are making out like bandits. ExxonMobil, this is from Yahoo News, or no, this is from NPR. Exxon reported its net profit more than doubled to $5.5 billion. Chevron reported its highest quarterly profit in nearly a decade. Shell posted its highest profits ever. The bottom line is that the industry is generating the highest free cash flow. Here's that I've looked at this business, says Doug Leggett, who runs the oil and gas equity research team for Bank of America. And what are they going to do with all this money? Well, Exxon says they're going to buy back $30 billion in shares. What does that do? It jacks up the stock price. Jacking up the stock price, what does that do? It makes your stockholders wealthy, and it makes your CEOs wealthy and your senior executives who have been compensated with stock. This was illegal, by the way, before the Reagan revolution. It was illegal for companies to buy back their stock and thus manipulate the stock prices, and it was illegal to, or at least it was very difficult, it, it, you couldn't get around the tax laws on this, to compensate senior executives with stock. And now, because we're doing this, you've got all this massive stock price manipulation going on, which is just going to make the crash worse. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The crash that we are experiencing right now. is with us, Dr. Guillaume Long, a senior policy analyst with the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., previously held several cabinet positions in the government of Ecuador and most recently served as Ecuador's permanent representative of the United Nations in Geneva. He has a Ph.D. in international politics from the University of London. CEPR.net is the website. Guillaume Long, uh, G-U-I-L-L-A-U-M-E, Long is his Twitter handle. Guillaume, welcome back to the program. I, I understand that uh, Lula, the former president of Brazil, is uh, uh, showing a lead in the polls over Bolsonaro. This is, uh, uh, you know, incredibly good news, it seems. Um, uh, first of all, give us a little bit of background, you know, who Lula was and how he did in his uh, years as president of Brazil and, and of course, who B Bolsonaro is and, and what's up with him right now. Well, thanks, Tom, for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, with pleasure. I mean, Lula is certainly in the lead, uh, which is remarkable if you think that a couple of years ago he was in jail. He actually did five, over 500 days of jail on sort of bogus corruption charges, essentially so that he would be out of the political picture and so he couldn't run. But he's now in the lead with, uh, depending on the polls, between 19 and 22 points in the leads, which would give him a first-round victory without the need for a runoff, which would give him a, a huge mandate and allow him to govern and make the reforms he wishes to make, I think. So that's very good news for Brazil, I think, for the PT. 
LGBT. For the left in Latin America, of course, because Brazil is not a small player, it's the biggest economy of Latin America, number one. And to have Lula back in power would mean, I think, that the current shift to the left in Latin America would be consolidated. It would mean the global south having a voice. These kinds of things that we've seen in the past. Who was he in the past? I mean, Lula ruled from, was president from uh, January 2003 to December 2000, or 1st of January, December 2010, let's say, eight years. And uh, he was a president who greatly reduced poverty uh, and inequality in Brazil, um, with a lot of redistribution of wealth in one of the most unequal countries in the world. And in terms of, uh, on the international front, in terms of his foreign policy, he was, I think, a great proponent of, uh, well, the rights of the global south, a more multipolar world, less unilateral power and Monroe doctrine in the Western Hemisphere on behalf of the United States. Uh, that's kind of, I mean, a very broad brushstrokes how I would describe Lula. Would, you, would, you, would it be fair to call Lula the Bernie Sanders of Brazil? I mean, we, Bernie Sanders has never governed, uh, you know, from the executive branch, so it's very difficult to say. But yeah, I, I would, I would agree that I think they, they share a lot in common. They progressive politicians. Some people on the left of Lula have actually criticized Lula for not being radical enough, enough, and which was actually a criticism that was laid at the um, political left in, that was in government in a number of countries in Latin America, that they weren't radical enough, that they essentially modernized capitalism, which is actually, you know, when you modernize capitalism and bring on a welfare state, it can be, you know, uh, you, you're still taking big risks. You're being, you know, you're, you're being, running the risk of being toppled. In the case of Lula, you actually, you know, ended up in jail. So I would argue that sometimes the modernization of capitalism, making it more human and, and socially uh, redistributive and so on and so forth, can be, can be quite radical in a way. But he did have a current to his left uh, that was critical of him. Um, so, I mean, to what extent that compares to the U.S. left in general, um, I think, yeah, his natural allies would be the progressive camp in the United States, and certainly that includes prominently uh, Bernie Sanders. Right. Um, I, one of the things that I've, I've, and not just me, I mean, the world has noticed is that when democracies are taken over by strongman right-wingers and uh, uh, Putin taking over Russia, uh, the, the, the situation in Hungary, uh, you know, uh, the, the Philippines now. Increasingly, in, in country after country, what we see is that uh, when, when these right-wingers take over these countries, they start shifting um, all the structures of power. Um, Viktor Orban, for example, in Hungary basically uh, helped oligarchs associated with him acquire all of the media, essentially all of the major media in Hungary. So it's all, you know, so, you know, just imagine in the United States if every single station was like Fox News. That's what it's like in Hungary right now. Um, he, he changed who could vote and where. I mean, it was like hyper gerrymandering, essentially, in Hungary. Um, same thing in Russia. You know, Putin did the same thing in Russia. How is it that Bolsonaro has been president as long as he has with as autocratic a bent as he has and the support he's had in, in, in the parliament there without having rigged the system like his right-wing colleagues around the world have? Or has he rigged the system and there's some sort of an explosion coming? 
So this is a very good question, and it's, there's some doubt about this. I mean, there is some fear that come the October elections, Bolsonaro may not recognize the results of the elections. Uh, he's been hinting with this. It's very opaque. We don't really know, but there seem to be certain sectors of the Brazilian military that kind of are on the sort of on his side, essentially, and that could be could be potential allies in a uh, essentially in a, in a kind of a coup in not recognizing the results, which are very likely to lead to a Lula victory in the polls. But on the other hand, you ha we have seen over the last four years of disastrous Bolsonaro rule uh, that the elites are not all aligned with Bolsonaro anymore. I don't even think the military is completely aligned with Bolsonaro anymore. There's, there's a lot of divisions inside the military. Now, why that is, I mean, a number of reasons. First, it's been a disaster for Brazil. I mean, you know, we can... We can we can kind of see how Putin's become a strong man because of the disaster of the 1990s. I'm not going to go back to that history, but you can see how Putin became a strong man by putting back Russia on its tracks and sort of playing power politics and all these kinds of things. Bolsonaro has not done that. On the contrary, the person who puts Brazil on the global map is Lula, and the, pers the person that takes Brazil off the glo global map and makes it a sort of very... Uh, sort of, yeah, a country that has very little to offer and, and uh, is not really part of global debates and so it doesn't generate any pride on behalf of the Brazilian people in the role and the position of Brazil in the world. Well, that's Bolsonaro. So, you know, the elites, uh, including some elite, uh, elite institutions, the foreign ministry is very powerful in Brazil. It's called Itamarachi. It's very famous in Latin America. And not very sort of, you know, they don't have this pride in Bolsonaro as a, as a global leader. So maybe there's a difference there between Bolsonaro's style of rule and other sort of rightist populists that you've mentioned here who've got a strong, who play a strong nationalist card. Bolsonaro, from the beginning, said that he was going to be completely aligned with the United States and he was going to do whatever the United States says. This is not the behavior we've seen from other right-wing populists around the world. So right. I think Although Trump a, was in power at that difference. time, was he not? That's right. So, uh, so Bolsonaro might have been binding himself more closely to Trump than to the United States. That's, that's correct. I think that's right. I mean, I, I think we've seen Bolsonaro at the Ninth Summit of the Americas uh, last week really trying to sort of repair his ties with the United States, as in, in this case with the Biden administration. I'm not sure how successful that's going to be, but he's now playing the card of, hey, I'm your guy against the return of communism, you know, and inverted right. commas, you know, he's trying to play that card. So he's definitely, uh, I think, He's tried to play both in different moments, both Trump's guy and the U.S. imperialism's guy in the region, if you see what I'm trying to say. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Guillaume Long, a senior policy analyst with the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., previously in the cabinet in Ecuador, in the government of Ecuador, and Ecuador's permanent representative of the U.N. in Geneva. Uh, Guillaume, thanks again so much for dropping by today. It's great talking with you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.